Welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm Barb Higgins, and in this podcast, I'll share personal stories of great joy and tragedy and the steps that brought me there. I have become adept at tracing them backward to find the origin of an event, good or bad, that has affected my life. I have gone from being on top of the world with Division I All-American success to being unable to get out of bed with the grief of losing a child and everything in between. I am painfully honest, which can make people uncomfortable, but discomfort brings growth and oftentimes tragedy brings joy. So tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb here. Welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps, episode six. So I'm alone in my house today, which is unusual for me. Jack-Jack is with Gracie at childcare, big boy school, we call it. Kenny is out of town. He'll be home later today. And I just have the house to myself, which is phenomenal. I started my day with a visit from a friend that, you know, social media makes it so you can stay in touch with people. But I also feel that sometimes we see each other in person less because we can just drop a message or a note or have a, you know, an a FaceTime or something. So I had a wonderful visit with a friend of mine named Marty. Like many of my friends, she's someone that I first knew as a student when she was an an athlete and a student at Concord High School and I was teaching in the district. I came to know her and her sisters. One thing I love about being an adult is the older you get, the less age matters. And so I love the fact that so many of my good friends now are former students, people that I met as students. Just a wonderful connection for me. And it makes me feel confident for Jack. His cousin Jonah is 12. So when Jack is 12, Jonah will be 24. So that's a profoundly big age difference. But when Jack is 30 and Jonah is 42, they could be best friends. It it, it matters less and less the older you get. So I look forward to that for him. I think with Gracie. Now, Gracie will have a very close relationship with Jack because she's here with him for now anyway. But when Jack is 20 and Gracie's 40, he may still seem very young to her. But when he's 30 and she's 50, you know, my, my friend Bethany's in her 30s and I'm in my 50s. And we commiserate and we plan and we work together. We have a wonderful time. I don't think of her as a child. I think of her as an equal and a friend. And so I really enjoyed this visit. And we talked all about Jack. She has a beautiful son. We talked about her son, talked about boys being women and raising boys. So it was just a really, really wonderful visit. And, you know, part of my head is always TikTok, TikTok, Barbara, you have 9 million things to do, but it's nice to just take a breath and sit back and let the visit commence and, and enjoy the company of someone that that cares for you and wants to see you. She was very bummed that Jack wasn't here. And that was a last minute decision to go to, for Jack to go to big boy school this morning, but he's off with Gracie and I've received all my requisite pictures. So yeah, so it was just a beautiful way to start the day. Just a reminder that friends and FaceTime with friends where you're in the same room is so important. COVID has kind of taken that from us in many ways. I know a lot of people are still very uncomfortable. I had a couple of other experiences this weekend that are really that really reminded me how important it is to get out and be in the community. Kenny was visiting friends on Saturday, so Gracie and I went downtown and conquered here to the Arts Festival, and it's connected to the Capitol Center for the Arts, which is the theater where we had Molly be the musical, and the folks at that theater are like family to us. And there was music, Clint Close, who's the RB Productions in charge of that theater company that the Molly B Foundation sponsors, he was doing sound for the musicians there. It was just, you know, everywhere we went, Gracie and I were running into people that we knew. We had Jack out, so everyone could see Jack and look at Jack, and he was his smiley, yummy, delicious self. He was so sweet, just meeting all these new people. We saw Miss Cindy and Carl, out in front of the theater and we saw Steve, all these people who who are important in our lives. And it was a beautiful sunny day. I actually bought this beautiful metal dragonfly. This artist does this amazing work with metal, all and you know, copper and and 
beautiful metals, not just, you know, not just like recycled oil bin type metals, which are also beautiful. So I purchased a, a dragonfly for the enchanted forest in the yard and had a wonderful talk with him. He, he's a skier. He's, you know, your typical New Hampshire artisan, I think. We had a great conversation and he had seen the story on the news and said, oh, I'm so glad to meet you. I, I saw your story and I thought, boy, I would love to meet that woman and ask some questions. And we ran into some other people that we didn't know. You know, everyone wants to look at a baby. A couple of other people had that same reaction. Oh, you're the person on the news. Huh. I, I saw that. That's great. Which brings me to the news because, because that's been a difficult part. The other social thing we did before we get to the news is we went to a neighborhood concert. During COVID, one of my neighbors, his name is Tim, started playing taps every night on his porch. And then that turned into concerts as the weather got better. And then there were these amazing nightly, seven o'clock at night, they'd play this music all through the pandemic. I mean, now they do them every once in a while. This was in honor of two local authors, Margaret Porter and Virginia McGregor, who have each just recently released books. And so we got to hear stories, you know, about the books and the writing. We listened to music that related to the books. It was such a wonderful, really wonderful time. And it was nice to see Virginia and her kids and, and to reconnect with Margaret again. She's a wonderful author as well. So I live right near these people. And so this, so this goes into press, this goes into publicity. This also goes into family and the connections that we create and the friends that we set forth and the things that we do to make sure that we remain connected. Part of Jack's story and coming home from the hospital was not just who will my community be, who will I meet and know face to face, but, but who will find out about me because of the news. I released the story, as I said, on Patch. So the article came out on Patch Sunday night and I came home Tuesday. So it came, or maybe it came out Monday, but I was still in the hospital when that, when that article came out. And so of course, once it's out there, it spreads like wildfire. So when, when I came home on Tuesday, like the 23rd or the 24th with Jack, you know, already the phone calls and the interviews and the requests were, were starting to come in. And I said yes to all of them because I just felt that I, I did something that was worthy of other people knowing that I had done. Not because it makes me anything special or great, but because if I can do it, then there must be many other women out there that can do it as well. And motherhood and losing the ability to be a mother, a physical mother, having a baby can be really difficult for women. And, you know, I'm living proof that you can be in menopause and find, find a doctor that's willing to see if your body can do it. Your body can do it and it does it. And, and if that can provide hope for someone else, then that's a good thing. Having said that, none of this comes without a cost and a price. Some of the people closest to us have had the toughest time. I've mentioned before, a couple of Kenny's adult children have really struggled with this. And, and my job isn't to force them to see it my way or to control how they feel. I can only control myself and how I raise Jack and what I teach him to believe and to, to research and to think and to feel and let him take all that and develop his own set of beliefs and, and, you know, a way that he lives. I have to try to remember that as I go through this process. Gracie's homecoming, when I brought Jack home, their love affair began right then. They, they, if there's a room full of people, including me, Jack will choose Gracie first, <laughs> unless he's hungry and there's no bottles to be found. Then he chooses me by default. They have a terrific relationship. He loves her. Oh gosh, he loves her. He gives Gracie more kisses than he gives anybody else. And it's just beautiful to watch and heartwarming to see you know, as a mother, you want your children to love each other. And Molly and Gracie were incredibly close. I always felt that I had succeeded in what I had hoped for them, that they would be lifelong friends. It's one of the things that makes her death still so painfully difficult, was watching Gracie have to be solo when, when it was the last thing I wanted for her. Gracie and Jack, in the privacy of Gracie and Jackville, 
do just fine. They love one another. Gracie does struggle with the media piece, the interviews, people asking her questions, invading her space. That, that makes it uncomfortable. And I think it's because the pregnancy was uncomfortable for her. She didn't like it. it, she, it she was afraid sometimes, you know, she'd already had so much loss. Why set ourselves up for more loss? And then of course, she's a teenager at the time. She was 19, turning 20. Who wants their mother to be pregnant when you're that age? It's kind of gross. And then and then all the, all the personal reasons. Why do we have to change our family this way? And haven't we been through enough? And sometimes I think the media coverage wakes that up in her and, and reminds her of the parts that were uncomfortable for her. And so I try, I try as best I can to be careful about that. I mean, it isn't easy, of course. The press is the press and, and the news is out there. So it, it spread like wildfire, I have to say. In the first two weeks of Jack's life, I spent as much time on this computer talking to news, news reporters as I did holding him. In the, in the quiet of the living room. It was a very, very, very busy time. Many of the questions were the same in, you know, how do I arrange the computer and oh, the light fixture showing and the, the, the window is shiny and all of the things that go into making it look good. We were also on a couple of live TV shows, the biggest one being the Today Show. And so these, these experiences were, were stressful. You know, you have to look nice and you have to answer the questions properly and you get one try. I mean, the interviews at least were Zoom calls that were taped. And so they were a bit edited, but still the pressure to say the right thing was tremendous. And I think we handled it well. How I felt after the first five or six news things is that we were really presented as this sort of fluffy, happy family. And, and I suppose at the time, that's all that anyone really needed to know. A news flash about a 57-year-old mother didn't need to go into all that was behind the birth of that baby. That has come later. I did get some criticism from a couple of friends and some family around the picture I was painting that I wasn't being authentic or honest. And, you know, it's hard to sit in front of a camera and answer questions and know how they'll spin it or what they'll do with it. My favorite, my favorite response, and there were some funny ones, the little blip would play and then, then it would go to the weatherman or whomever was next. And, you know, they comment on what they'd just seen. And my favorite comment was a weatherman. <laughs> he didn't say a thing about the pregnancy. He went, Oh my gosh, she's 57 and she does hand cleans and power cleans. Like she's weightlifting at 57. Like that's what stuck to him. Not that I was doing it with a big eight month belly, <laughs> but that I was lifting in general. So it was, it was fun for me to see those reactions and to interact with people. One news station I met with, it was a husband and wife couple. And so the husband had done an interview and all this, and then they're, they're pursuing fertility themselves. And the wife is like, guess what I saw in the news? And the husband got to say, I did the show. So, you know, there's been some really fun stories that way. I know that my fertility clinic has been inundated with phone calls and such, which is fine. I mean, I think it's an area of medicine as we, as we progress as a society in a technological society in a medically technologically savvy society that facilitating childbirth in, in untraditional ways is going to be a big part of our future. And as it should be, I think we live a long time now. It's not physically necessary to have babies when you're 25. So the, the press journey has been interesting. It's been illuminating. I have met tons of people, wonderful people. And I've received messages and emails and such, Facebook messages and all from women all over the country with a variety of questions. And I, I typically just answer those personally, one at a time, because there isn't one answer for every question. Every question has its own list of differences. It's been, a, it's been an incredible journey. So all of the hyper press coverage really died down by mid, mid to late June. And July and August were pretty quiet. And that, that would make sense, you know, that the big story's over. And so I sort of thought that was it. So since then, I've actually had a couple of other types of press venues reach out. Hearst Television, they're a parent company for some ABC stations up here in New England. They came and did a whole day of filming and they have like a YouTube channel and an app. And it will be like a, like a documentary on this. It's like a 20 minute special. So is it on national television? No, not, 
not necessarily, but it'll be it'll be there for anyone anywhere to see. And then Parenting Magazine does the same thing. They have a YouTube channel and they have a show that's extraordinary, ordinary mothers doing extraordinary things, something along those lines. But that requires, you know, a 12 hour day of filming and questions and people are in your house. And you know, these can, this can be all very stressful and you want, you want everything to go well. You know, what I want presented is a good picture. But quite honestly, behind every good picture is 50 struggling pictures. You know, the midnight crying or the throwing up or <laughs> pooping all over their stomach in their new white onesie, you know, all the things that babies do, the dirty house and the frustration and and waiting and waiting for someone to come home and they said they'd be home and they don't show up. All of those things, every family has these things and and mine does as well. And then the traditional roles of family and and how does that play? You know, Molly's death decimated our family. We are nothing like we were and nor could we be. And so all of these things get captured in the media and and with the bigger stories that are coming now, more information comes out. Part of, my, part of the reason for this podcast, along with sharing this, is to share it authentically so that what you see in a 20-minute news blip is just that, 20 minutes of a 24-hour reality. I want other people to know all of it. So when I'm having a bad day and thinking, why on earth did I have a baby at 58? That's important. It's no different than a 38-year-old saying, why did I have a baby? It's no different than a 25-year-old saying it. We, we, you know, we, we need to give other mothers permission have these struggles as well. In telling my story, the way that it happened and how I feel about it, in this, in my, in my house, in my little studio here, from my mouth without being prompted by questions, in my mind gives a full, sort of fills the pie, if that makes sense, with the rest of the story. So the, the, the press process has been, I think, a positive process. I hired Virginia, the woman I just talked about, who just published a book, The Children's Secret. She is the author, the ghost writer for the memoir that we created around Molly and her death. That's a piece of the press, so to speak. Should that book get published or when that book gets published? Lots and lots of people will know all sorts of details about that process in my life. And it's not just Molly and her death. It's it's what was going on in my family before she died and, and how it affected the family after she died and, and all the things that can surround trauma. And I find child loss to be the biggest trauma in my mind. Having said that, if you're a five-year-old and your mom dies, that's a pretty big trauma too. So, you know, any any unexpected event that that causes loss at a time you weren't expecting it to me is traumatic. And that's that's you know the reality around Molly. And as I've said before as well, Jack wouldn't be here if these things hadn't happened. In the process of making my story public and sharing it with people, all of these things come into play. But what happens daily, all the time, no matter what, is the reality of Jack, when I see his little face, when I go pick him up today, and there he is, this live little baby boy who's just wonderful in every way, it's a reality check. There he is, a live human he's created. He has a mission and a plan here. He's here. And this could, that can be, very, can be very settling in an unsettling way. And what I mean by that is it's very, very hard to hide behind a baby because a baby brings it all out, brings it all to the forefront, it crystallizes reality and truth and what needs to happen. In my grief process and grief journey since Molly's death, I've done a lot of wandering, a lot of sitting, a lot of medicating, a lot of not really doing anything because it was just easy and it's, and it's what I needed to do at the time to survive. And now I have such a purpose with Molly's foundation, with Jack, with this podcast, with all of the things that are going on right now simultaneously in and around the loss of Molly and the creation of Jack. Family-wise, family meaning Kenny, Gracie, me, and Jack, we, we take it day by day. 
We try to have good days and do fun things. We try to stay in the present. It's very hard when you've had trauma to make goals and plan ahead. I, I didn't make a single athletic goal until just recently because I didn't, I couldn't be sure that there would be a March when it was only January. You know, I, I, I didn't have the ability to do that. When you become pregnant, all you're doing is thinking ahead because you're waiting for the next milestone. You're planning a name. You're creating a nursery and all the things that you do when you're going to bring a baby home. You are living in the future all the time. And so I think all of these things have helped me in that regard. I still don't have big major life goals, but little ones, little ones, weight loss goals and how to be healthy and getting back into the arts and tap and ballet and, and working hard at CrossFit, and maybe trying to win a competition. All of these things come back for me. And I look at Gracie and her and her goals and, and plans for the rest of her life. You know, and Kenny, Kenny is so wrapped up right now in his health. He can't be a transplant recipient and have gone through all he's gone through and, and have a lot of time to think about much other than keeping yourself healthy day to day. And that's, that's Kenny's challenge and struggle. The press and the media and the openness of this story, including this podcast, is like anything else in life. You know, with every right comes a responsibility. With every, with every, in my life, with every miracle comes a tragedy. And so, so I walk the fence here with sharing everything and opening myself up for both praise and criticism and acceptance and not acceptance. I, I balance that with not having privacy <laughs> and all my mistakes being public, which again, I just think if more of us were authentic, then life would be a lot easier. It's very, very easy to get caught up in the perfect world of the Facebook status or the Instagram photo. You know, I, I go on Instagram sometimes and I look at these girls that I've coached and taught and, and I think, oh God, they're trying so hard to look pretty in this picture. They are pretty. You know, you don't have to stand that way and do this or that to look pretty. Um, but that's where we live right now. And so <laughs> regular old Barb with her weirdly straightened hair, for those of you that can see me, it's a bit weird. You know, in my little wrinkly eyes and all the things that happen when you're 58, I'm here to say it doesn't matter, <laughs> even though it might. And, you know, and all the, the openness around this plays into those things as well. If there were one thing I could share about it is, you know, for every 57-year-old out there that thinks they might like to have a baby, you don't have to be a TV star when the baby arrives. You don't, you can, but you don't have to be. To anyone who's, who's looking to share a story or, or do anything, I've gotten a lot of positive responses around this podcast with women in my grief groups, because we often feel so isolated from one another and it's important to talk to each other. So I'm hoping that a lot of the press coverage can open conversation as well. I think it's just important. We spend a lot of time sharing superficial things you know, the family photos on Facebook or, or, oh, we had a cookout or, oh, I want to race or, you know, all the things that we do that, that ultimately we want to make people feel good about us and, and themselves. And oftentimes if you're struggling, you look at those things as proof of your failure and that, that can be a difficult. So the personal side of bringing Jack home was the first month we really just stayed home all the time. And oftentimes never even went downstairs. He was teeny, teeny, tiny. And eating and sleeping and sleeping and eating. He's been a champion sleeper since day one, I will tell you. He slept on my chest for about a month because that was the only way he would fall asleep or stay asleep, which I didn't mind. And you know, I'm 58, I don't sleep. So having an awake baby at night hasn't been an issue for me. And he sleeps a lot more than I do, quite honestly. We, we have a good night. We're in, we're, we go to bed at about 8.30 and we get up at about 7.30. And there's a lot of awake time there, but it's, it's healthy. He sleeps much more than me. I spend a lot of time scrolling on my phone at three in the morning. You know, he had a hard time nursing in the beginning and burning calories and not gaining weight quickly. When we came back from our Florida trip, we spent, you know, went to Disney and did all those fun things in Florida when he was five weeks old, went to the doctor and, and he was not gaining weight fast enough. And so we've really had to supplement. So I went back and forth with 
Do I want Jack Jack to have formula? No, not really. Do I want Jack to be only nursed? Yes, I do. Am I able to only nurse him and keep him gaining weight? No, I'm not. I mean, this was a huge struggle for me. So one thing I found out, again, one of the blessings of social media is these wonderful Facebook groups. And that's how I found it. I'm sure they're on other forms of social media as well. One of them was called Human Milk for Human Babies. And the other is just Nursing Mom Support, New Hampshire Support for Nursing Moms, that type of thing. And there are groups on Facebook full of women who have or have or have had babies who are nursing or have nursed, who just offer support. So Human Milk for Human Babies is a group of women who produce tons of milk, more than they need. They nurse their babies, they pump milk, they have freezers full of frozen milk and they share it. It's like modern day wet nursing is how I describe it. And in my struggle for Jack to gain weight and for me to feel like I was mothering him the way I wanted to, I reached out on this group and explained my situation. And I had a woman, her name was Jackie, give me milk. And so <laughs> Kenny and I get in the car with Jack and we, we drive to a meeting point, we bring coolers and I come home with like 50 bags of frozen breast milk. And I'm just beside myself. And so we started Jack on this process where I would nurse. And then when he was hungry again, I'd give him a bottle. And then I would nurse and then give him a bottle. And we sort of alternated that during the day and then just nursing all night. He started to gain weight immediately. In one week, I think he gained like two and a half pounds, which is a huge amount when you're only five pounds. <laughs> and so his weight gain began and, and his his sort of getting up onto the charts and being a much more normal sized baby, which eased the minds of his doctors and ease the minds of us. It's hard. Mothers, I've often said women and mothers especially can be blame takers. We, we feel that we're supposed to make it right and do it right. That it's our job to make sure our babies are healthy and well. It's why, it's why child loss is so difficult for mothers. And so I felt incredible pressure. I had such an easy time nursing Gracie and Molly. I felt this incredible pressure to nurse Jack. And so now I could. So now, now my friend Jackie, moved away. And so I lost that contact. Well, sure enough, a local mother who I knew before having Jack is a massive milk producer. I just, God bless these women. And so she's my, she's my person now. And so what I like, her name is um, Kelsey. And what I love so much about these women is that they're willing to share themselves in the, in the purest way with, with someone else's baby. And so Jack's story becomes theirs too. He, these women become a part of who he is and how he is and how he'll come to be. It's with such love and respect that I that I do this because with this with this help, Jack is thriving. Now I have I pump milk. I haven't I've actually fallen off the pumping wagon a little bit because I, I don't need to, because I have this wonderful balance that I have now with being able to feed and nourish Jack both with Kelsey's milk and with my own. And I don't feel that it needs tweaking. It it, it works well and Jack is healthy and he's growing. But I will say that. That's not a huge change from, from 20 years ago mothering to now is that these groups exist and breast pumps have changed. When I was pumping with Gracie and Molly, you have to plug it in. It's this horrible, you know, you have to hold the bottle there. You, you can't do anything while you're pumping except pump, which in my mind makes the pumping less effective. I have a breast pump now that goes right in your bra. It looks like a little boob and there's a, there's like a circular plastic bag in there, you know, and you set it all up and you put it on and you turn it on and it immediately starts the suction put your bra on, you walk around and do your business. Now it makes me look like I have these giant boobs so I couldn't wear it in public making this humming noise. But the most amazing thing is you can walk around. I could, I could, I could be giving a podcast right now pumping. You'd, you'd hear it so I wouldn't do it. But it's unbelievable the technology that, that has come around with breast pumps. It used to be manual. Women used to have to manually squeeze their boobs to get the milk to come out. I can't imagine having to live through it that way. So that's been an unbelievable positive difference in having a baby now 
as, as opposed to having one 20 years ago. Those things were really done in solitaire, solitary because you didn't have these online groups where you could still be relatively anonymous and ask for help. And so I, I check those groups every day and I, and I am so utterly grateful for these women who are willing to do it. If I were overproducing breast milk and had more than I needed, I would share it in a heartbeat. And I just think back to uh, Gracie's an early childhood major and she had to watch a movie. It was this fabulous movie about four mothers. One of them was in an African country. One was in an Asian country. One was, and maybe it was three mothers and one was in the United States. Three very different mothers, very different cultures, all looking for the same thing, to teach their children how to exist in their reality, how, to teach their children to be safe and make choices based on where they lived and what they would encounter. So you had these little children swimming in a river, unattended it seemed, but that's where they live. They spend their time outside. And then you had this little boy in a field with cows and all this livestock, you know, and I'm thinking, oh my God, he's going to get run over by these cows. But of course he isn't because that's where they live. And then you have this little baby in San Francisco and she's, she's in this very structured daycare center, you know, and childcare center that looked like it was repeating the things that were happening in nature with the other two babies. It was phenomenal, but I bring it up because it reaffirms my, my belief that there's no right or wrong way. If you're loving your child and not hurting your child, then there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. You have to raise your baby the way that you do. And, and these, these breast support, breastfeeding support groups have been phenomenal in that, that the women are so open. In the African country, there was a woman in clearly her job to feed the baby. She was surrounded by children, nursing one, then nursing another. Some of them were older toddlers, others babies. And I just thought, you know, we live in a very, very proper society. And so you nurse your own baby. And if you're in public, but my goodness, cover up because who wants to see that? And it can be very, very challenging to be a nursing mother in America, depending on where you live and who you live near. I have, I don't care if somebody doesn't like watching me nurse, they can turn around, you know, feeding my baby. Again, that's me. But it was just this, this, this whole human milk for human babies group and these women in New Hampshire, and I'm sure every state has it, supporting one another at, a, at what can be a very trying time is just the most amazing thing to me. And I just give such a shout out to the healthcare community around women and the, and the new mother community and midwives and doulas and, and support people for people having babies and raising their baby. Because it can be very, very lonely sometimes when you're here alone in your house. So that's been a huge that's, you know, aside from all the media coverage and the adjusting of having a baby at home, probably the biggest thing I've noticed would be my experience as a breastfeeding mother and how supportive I feel from women I hardly know, you know, and how happy I am to know that they'll be a part of Jack's reality and Jack's story. Very, very different. This has been a very, very different, you know, first six months compared to Gracie and to Molly. And let me say, I had all equally wonderful, but this is just very, very different. Jack's arrival here was different. The fact that he exists in the first place, that he actually grew and came out healthy and okay, is different. And my challenge every day is to make sure I'm delivering this experience to people in an authentic and honest way. doesn't mean I have to tell all my secrets, but it does mean that what I say needs to be the reality of what's going on. And so Jack is just now six months. He goes to big boy school and has some friends who are babies. He sleeps with his mom and nurses all night long. He goes for walks every day with, with his dad. He spends tons of time with his big sister. His nanny comes over and snuggles him up. All incredibly normal reactions for what would happen with a new baby in a family. But his dad is 66 and his mother is 58 and his sister is 20. So all of these things just become a different reality. So I'll end with, as I always end, doing good things for yourself. 
So for me, I think the best thing I can do for myself right now is to reconnect in my life face-to-face with people that have brought me happiness and joy. And it's important for me to seek out those people and to make sure that my FaceTime exists with people that have the best, have the best interests for me and that want well for me and that I want for them. We spend hours and days and months and lifetimes as humans sometimes trying to convince the people we think should love us to love us. And really the best thing we can do for ourselves sometimes is to love ourselves first and find others that love us for who we are. And that's what I would want for Jack. That's what I would want for anyone that he would meet or get into a relationship with or become friends with. You know, I look at him sometimes and wonder what he'll be. What will he be? And I guess I just hope that he'll be always able to find ways to be happy. Um, and that would be, you know, back to Molly's little purpose. Kenny and Gracie and I are finding ways to be happy with Jack. Not that that's difficult. All of you who are listening, think of that friend of yours that you maybe haven't seen for a while or that person that you run into now and then, or somebody you met in a Facebook group or an online group or a book club or whatever, and that really just accepts you and likes you. Be friends with that person. That's the person that you should connect with and, and bring into your team. So that's all for today. I hope you all have a good day and I'll talk to you soon. So long, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting A Thousand Tiny Steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www.1000tinysteps.com.